As we get started here, let's take just a moment and review. So we've been looking at the life of Elijah. And you might remember that back on Ash Wednesday, we talked about how he confronted King Ahab because of his sin and told him that there would be a drought. And there was a drought. Lasted for three and a half years. And God sent him out to this Kareth ravine where he sat and he sent birds to bring him food. And he drank from the ravine. But eventually the ravine dried up, so he sent him to a widow in Zarephath. And you might recall that there was a promise there that the flour would not run out and the oil would not run dry. And he didn't. But then her son died. And then Elijah took the boy and prayed. And he was raised back to life. And then this past week, when we, we came together, we re- heard about how there was this big confrontation. 450 prophets of Baal, one prophet of God. We heard about the fire that came down and consumed the, the, the sacrifice and, and, and just all of these amazing things. Now, right before our reading, we skipped a little bit in the story. And in, in that little bit there, there's a little conversation between Elijah and Ahab that took place right after the prophets of Baal were slain. And he tells him, get into your chariot. Go eat and drink. There's the sound of rushing rain. Three and a half years, no rain. And Elijah's telling him, it's about to rain, so you better get yourself home. And Elijah goes and he prays to God. He prays seven times. And on the seventh time, clouds begin to form. And 1 Kings 18, verse 45 says, And in a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. King Ahab and his horses were actually caught in the rain. I actually find that image to be a little bit funny. Uh, Here's this king in all of his fine robes, drenched to the skin. Just everything, uh, all those fine clothes, uh, all wet. And God adds one more miracle to Elijah's story so far. In verse 46, it says that the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garments and ran before Ahab to the entrance of the city. So basically what that means is he's wearing robes. These are hard to run. I have trouble even stepping up the steps with these things. And, and so they would twist them around and tie them up so that their legs could move freely. You've heard the phrase, you know, gird yourself up like a man. That's actually tying your robes up so that you can move freely. And, uh, and, and so he runs and, and he beats Ahab to the city. He ran faster than horses. That's not too shabby. And as I look at everything that happened in Elijah's life, the things that we've talked about so far, it just seems to me that he's got to be feeling pretty good. He has experienced some really amazing things. He has seen miracles. He's been faithful in his service to the Lord, and the Lord has blessed him. And he goes from victory to victory. And it just seems like his confidence should be at an all-time high at this point. But is it? No. When Ahab got back to his wife, Queen Jezebel, I imagine him looking like a drowned rat and a kicked dog. And he told her about what happened to her prophets. She was furious. 
and she sent a, a message to Elijah. So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of my prophets of Baal by this time tomorrow. It's a really flowery, regal way of saying, I'm going to kill you. Now put yourself in Elijah's shoes, or his sandals. Remember the drought, and now the rain. Remember the ravens in the ravine. Remember the widow, the flower and the oil, the boy, cold and dead in his arms, and then breath and warmth as he returns this dead child alive to his mother. Remember the fire that fell from heaven and and, and consumed that offering Remember the hearts of the people being turned back to the Lord. This incredible moment where they've been limping back and forth between these different gods. And they come to the one true God. All these incredible moments. Now, how do you respond to Jezebel's threat? Do you feel peaceful in the security that God has protected you in the past? Do you confidently cling to to God's prior protection over the past three and a half years? Do you laugh at the paltry power of a queen compared to the power of Almighty God? Because Elijah, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. And after everything, Doesn't that seem rather, well, faithless? Now, what I want to see is how God handles this, what God does with this situation. So Elijah goes, he runs. He's going to put as much distance between him and Jezebel as he can. He's up in Israel. He gets down into Judah, so he's in a different country. And he keeps going another day's worth until he can't go any further. And he falls asleep underneath a broom tree. And an angel of the Lord wakes him up. There's fresh bread and a jar of water. Eat and drink. He falls asleep again. And an angel of the Lord wakes him up. Fresh bread, jar of water, eat, drink. The journey is too great for you. Such patience. Such love. I find this to be so comforting. I don't know about you, but I can think of too many times that I've been too fearful to follow God faithfully. I know my failures all too well. And I remember times where I have quailed at far lesser threats than death. Can you relate? Does your fear ever keep you from following where God leads you? Does it ever overwhelm your faith? Jesus says, do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. 
if, if we're going to be dominated by fear, and if power, even power over our own lives, is the issue that's going to govern our choices, well, who has the greatest power to do the most damage to us? Isn't it God himself? That we should fear to anger, fear to upset, fear to let down? But in the shame and the fear of failure, God does not come with his wrath and anger. He does not approach us with a stern look of disapproval. He comes with tender mercy. He comes in the form of his son. And he feeds us heavenly food. He sustains our spirits and he pours life into us. The journey is too great for you. Can you relate? Have you experienced that sense that the pains and troubles of this life are too much? You know, he, he gets there to the tree. Do, do you remember what he prayed for? He prayed to die. He, he, he's just exhausted. He's wiped out. He's, he's terrified. Have you ever been to that point where you're just like, I'm done. I can't take anymore. Have you been to that moment where you feel as, as though God is asking too much of you? That this walk of faith is more than you can handle? If so, let this passage, this experience of Elijah, comfort you. Because maybe it really is too much for you. Maybe it's not just that you're weak, undisciplined, or faithless. Maybe it is too much. But it's not too much for God. And even though he is the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell, he gave us Jesus his only begotten son, to overcome the world for us. Jesus' body was destroyed for us. He was beaten, torn, and pierced for us. He laid in the grave for us, and he rose for us. He journeyed through the hell of crucifixion and was even abandoned by God for us because that's what our sin deserved. And, and that, that's too much. That's more than we can bear. And so he comes and he bears it for us. And he overcomes sin and death and all of these things on our behalf. And now, because he has won the victory, he sustains us. He puts his spirit in us. And we live in his strength. The power that could destroy us in wrath has become the power that gives us life and protects us in faith. Jesus has won the victory for us. He, he won a greater victory than, than Elijah ever experienced. Yeah, sometimes we get overwhelmed and fearful as we follow where Jesus leads us.
take heart. The journey may be too much for you, but it's not too much for Jesus. Look at all he has done to redeem you. He loves you. He will never leave you or forsake you. He has won the victory, and he will see you through. Amen.